it's Greg Grunberg, uh, Snap Wexley from Heroes, and Commander Finnegan of Yorktown from a uh, little thing called Star Trek. And you are kneeling before the pod. Kneel Before Blog presents... Kneel Before Pod. And welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is joining or hiding from the Empire, depending on who you ask. I'm your host, Craig, and I have wrangled up a couple of disgraced on-the-run Jedi Knights. One of them might be a ghost, don't know, it's up to them, to discuss the latest Disney Plus Star Wars show, Obi-Wan Kenobi. First up is former disgraced, perhaps ghost Jedi Knight, Aaron, hello. What did I do? Why am I disgraced? You were just a Jedi, disgraced and hunted down and destroyed oh i see i've just been collectively brushed with that shame okay fair enough in that case yes all right i was gonna say a bit mean of a start there well sometimes just have to set the tone i suppose the other jedi knight might be a ghost don't know it's up to him isaac hello are you a ghost no i don't think i'm a ghost okay you think you're okay okay (laughs) good with that then right cool excellent well, we are here to discuss some Star Wars. We're here to talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Disney Plus show about Obi-Wan Kenobi. So let's just get started with some non-spoiler thoughts on this show that ended a couple of weeks ago as we record. So Isaac, you are the big Star Wars guy. You love Star Wars with lightsabers. What did you think of this show? This is my favourite of the Star Wars things, I think. I'm not a big Star Wars guy. I just like lightsabers. I like Jedi <laughs> and lightsabers and the sort of magical element of it. So whereas other shows like Mandalorian and Boba Fett were like Star Wars-y-ish, but I wasn't super invested really. And I really enjoyed this. It was fun seeing Obi-Wan and seeing Hugh McGregor and Hayden Christensen again and back with the characters from films in the 90s and noughties and I had a great time. I really enjoyed it. But it's light and breezy. It may not have been the most dramatic and complicated thing ever, but I just had a lot of fun watching it. Cool. And Aaron, what did you think? I guess I'm in the middle. If I was just going to go light side and you're going to go dark side, spoilers, then I'm going to have to be the grey Jedi in the middle, I think, on this one. I did enjoy some parts of it, and there are other parts that I think I just would have written differently, that's all. The motivations of the main characters, I understood them at the end of the last episode when they told me what they were supposed to be. I don't think they necessarily built to the end points as strongly as I would have liked. But there were some real highlights for me that will come to. I would probably join a bandwagon by saying there's one fight with Darth Vader in it that was just ridiculously awesome. And I'm pretty sure that everybody will agree with that. I don't think even you would disagree with that one that I'm going to pick out. I mean, you might, but I don't think so. So there were certainly highlights in it. And I really wanted to see this story because the end point of the two characters was very interesting to me. But for reasons that will require spoiler territory, I would have gotten to their end points differently. I feel like you've set me up as this massive contrarian. and That's not quite what I am. Contrarian? All right, okay. That's what I do. (laughs) I found parts of it fine. Actually, my overriding opinion throughout the first five episodes was, this is fine. 
It was not great. It was not terrible. It was fine. It was in the middle. But for the purposes of this, I'll be the hater. I didn't like the final episode. I thought the way that show ended made it difficult to justify its existence in the first place. I do think that there are things that it just fails to do completely. And we'll definitely get to that. So five sixths of it are fine. And then the final sixth is just really bad as far as I'm concerned. But for the purposes of this, Aaron, you're the chosen one who will bring balance to the force as per that prophecy. That means I have to go really, really, really bad and save myself at the last minute. That's quite a nasty path you've just put me on. Yeah, you'll need to really heavily criticise something and then end on a positive note. I think you might be better placed for this. (laughs) I'm not a good chosen one. It's too much pressure. I like to be not under pressure. You can be Darth McKenzie, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. We'll see. Shall we go into the spoiler section? Sure. Yeah. Hello there. Okay, let's start with the title character, Obi-Wan. We pick up with him 10 years after the events of Revenge of the Sith. He's hiding out on Tatooine. He is a broken man. I've put a note saying broken man waiting to die. Do you think that's a fair description of his starting point? Not sure about the waiting to die thing, but broken, I'll give you. Yeah, he's certainly lost a bit. He's lost his way. Yeah, he's working at chopping up a giant carcass and then stealing food for himself. He's living in a cave. He's creeping on Luke Skywalker from a distance. He's doing all that stuff. So You've just actually taken on the role of Darth McKenzie with that creeping on Luke. Because he totally isn't. (laughs) That is not fair. So yes, you have now started your path down the dark side. So Aaron, what did you think of the starting point of Obi-Wan as he appears? And it's only the first episode, really. It sets up. He's aimless and stuck and broken. And then he gets cajoled into one last mission, which may turn into... Another one last mission, if they do a season two, or ten last mission. The escalation of this exile, where he's not really an exile type situation. The only part of that that bothered me was the one last mission thing. I I couldn't help but see him in a New York policeman's outfit when they used that specific setup. (laughs) I think they even ask him specifically to come out of retirement for exactly one last mission as you say leia's father actually says those lines i think oh god you could have been a bit more subtle about it however to answer the bigger part of that and the more important part of it yes i really liked his setup i really liked the idea of somebody sent to a backwater planet by a mission that he's not even really sure about anymore because once you're on your desert planet you can't see the politics of the universe going on around you and you don't really have a constant affirmation that this is what you're supposed to be doing and why you're doing it. And if it goes on for years and years and years, then you do lose that connection to who you are, to what it all means, to the purpose behind it. I find it very difficult to talk about it just in the beginning, actually. I won't go on loads, but just to say, I think it is proven that it's done well because you can see the transition of Obi-Wan throughout the show. And he is weaker He's terrified at the start when he's brought back into these things, when he's brought back into having to deal with problems, specifically when he has to deal with Anakin or Vader, as is now become. And then you go on to see the comparison to that at the end, when he is confident he's back with the Force and he knows what he's doing. That transition wouldn't have been anywhere near as obvious and well done if they hadn't have given us a proper broken person at the start. So I will say that I thought... Ewan McGregor did a fantastic job giving us Obi-Wan going on a path 
starting from this broken point that you've suggested. Yeah, I was really on board with it in the first episode. I thought they did a really good job establishing how lost he feels. He's completely cut off from everything. It's this silent, faraway guardian type situation. The other Jedi that's on Tatooine, because as we know, or as I've been told about the Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, Tatooine is a proper hub of activity. It's not this backwater planet that they always told us in the original trilogy. Everybody goes through there at some point. So there's a Jedi there. And the Jedi approaches him and Obi-Wan says, there is no battle. We lost. There is no Jedi. We're over. That's it. We're done. There's nothing left. We just have to survive or wait this out. You know, that's why I said waiting for death, because what else is he going to do? He's not thinking about getting his life back on track at this point. He is just marking time. I think you are bringing your darkness with you here, talking about it being the place that everybody goes through. In the area, maybe it is. Not just have to be for the whole galaxy. Plus, the Jedi is actively searching for Obi-Wan, just like the Inquisitors are. And there's no reason to think that he wouldn't have extra information. There's no reason to think he couldn't use his Force powers to sense that somebody's close by. And if you're in an area, I actually have not got the galaxy map in front of me. I don't know if Tatooine is in a small area that uses Tatooine as its hub, but it only has to have the hub of that area. And as I say, the Inquisitors have managed to maybe follow that and then use the Force to get closer. I think you're purposely making this sound worse than I believe it actually is. If I could remember your second point, I think I felt a bit the same way on that. Oh, waiting to die. He's not waiting to die. He's got one mission left. And it's the only mission that survives. There is nothing left to do with the Jedi. There is nothing left to do with the Old Order. There's nothing left to do with the Council. But he has been charged with protecting this boy. And that's a really good thing to be doing. You know that the Inquisitors, these really horrendous people, are going to be coming after this kid for no reason at all other than how he was born. And that is a good reason to think I can usefully protect this person. So he's not waiting to die. I think the very important thing is he's lost his connection to his religion. He's lost his connection to his ideology. He's lost his connection to himself. The one thing he's got left to do is very important. Make sure nobody slaughters a 10-year-old boy. That's very valuable. So again, I think waiting to die, I think you're reducing him down a bit too much. But I do agree that he's broken, obviously, because he's lost ideology, religion, and sense of self. Although there is shades of a potential plan in there because he says to Owen, when the time comes, he must be trained. So there is maybe that element of, at some point, I'm going to have to point Luke in the direction of saving the galaxy and make him a Jedi. He doesn't really know Vader exists at this point, but the plan later becomes, let's train him up and then throw him at Vader and hope he wins which is something a bit nefarious. You actively heard Obi-Wan say that he was planning on sending Luke against Vader in that series, because I don't think he did. Not in this series, no. It was the plan in the original trilogy, as in we need to train this kid up to deal with Vader. Well, when he's an adult, I mean, I know 17 is difficult for us to potentially see as an adult here, but technically a lot of the world does think of the 17-year-old as an adult. And once you're that age and you get to choose, then it doesn't seem unreasonable to think, you could join these ranks. Plus, there is a little bit of a family connection there, he said, without leaning into 30-year-old spoilers. (laughs) Again, I think you're reducing a lot down here a bit much. I suppose also Obi-Wan and a Jedi, they all started their training when they were kids. So from Obi-Wan's point of view, that's just kind of how the system works. If he is going to train up Luke, he's like, oh yeah, he's like, 
eight, you start your training around this sort of age. When you sort of say, oh yeah, the boy needs to be trained and stuff. Oh yeah, now's the sort of time. It's coming old enough as the Jedi did train people back in the like, the Republic time. So yeah, it is sort of tracks of how Obi-Wan would have trained himself. He would have been that age-ish, probably when he started. Yeah, which they bring up in the show at some point, which again, we'll get to. But Isaac, what did you think of the starting point for Obi-Wan, this broken man living in a cave and so on? I thought it was fun, especially we get a brief here's what Obi-Wan was like in the prequels at the intro and then you get this shadow life this sort of a ghost version of himself that's just blending in he's just working at this fishmonger thingy and trying to exist and continue on so it was certainly Ewan McGregor this show has had a big chance for him to show a lot of what he can do <laughs> he got a fair bit in the prequels but here you can have a bit more subtlety and showing fear and disheart mm. when he's saying to the young Jedi guy it's it. there's a sense of hopelessness in him <laughs> even though he knows he has to look after young Luke He's in a place where he's like, oh yeah, but it'll never be what it was. It'll never be back to being a safe world for Jedis. There won't be a council anymore. There's no hope in him, really, of everything getting fixed. I think he's just sort of like, oh, we'll have to make do. This is the best hope we have, but it's not going to bring everything back. It might just help us survive a little bit. Yeah, but he gets taken off Tatooine. Bail Organa shows up and says, our daughter's been kidnapped. You're the only man I trust for this job, so please do it. Please go off and do this. And the kidnap is Leia, which I actually find surprising because the marketing for the show highlighted the fact that Luke was in it and there was no hint that Leia was in it. So it was almost like the Baby Yoda reveal, although not probably not quite as surprising, I suppose. But the fact that Leia turned up and was such a big part of the show was an interesting surprise. And I thought they did Leia really well, actually. The young Leia was really charming as an actor. The young Luke didn't actually have anything to do. Which is hilarious because he was so much a part of the marketing of the show and then he's only really in one episode. That's just marketing, though. The whole idea of misdirection and this, that and the other. A number of times I've said, but that's just marketing to you in all of our podcasts. So, yeah, that's the same. Yeah, it was just an interesting little subversion, I suppose. We always knew that Obi-Wan was going to be going off-world to do something. And the fact that he was going to rescue Leia was a bit of a surprise, even though what else would he be going off-world to do, I suppose, if you really think about it. It's a bit of a riff on the New Hope story, in a way, because he leaves Tatooine to go and rescue Leia in that film as well. Isaac, did you like young Leia? Yeah, I really enjoyed her. She had the right snark and quick wits and stuff that is of that character. I'm not very familiar with the original trilogy. I'm not watching a long while. So in 4, when she asks him for help, Is there a sense that she knows him, or is it just more that she's heard of him? There's a sense of the opposite, because the message starts with General Kenobi, you serve with my father in the Clone Wars, which suggests that she has only heard of him, rather than having this really intense, long-form adventure with him like 10 years ago or nine years ago that she would definitely remember. There's a bit of a canon breach in that sense, and people get very hung up on it, but what we're trying to do here is we're trying to tell a story that either complements or goes against a few lines of dialogue and something that was made decades ago that wasn't intended to be anything more than it was. Stuff said in A New Hope contradicts what's said in The Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi as well, because there was no plan to take it any further than that. Yeah, it's very last of us, having those two travel around together. Yeah, I really liked her. And she was, to be not the exact opposite of Obi-Wan, but she was a good raised in a loving home, and she hasn't got that sadness that poor old Obi-Wan has. And initially is very threatened. Well, she has just been kidnapped and she doesn't know what's going on. It's nice how they swarm towards each other. Initially, Obi-Wan doesn't seem that happy about doing the mission either. <laughs> First couple of episodes, neither of them seem to like each other. 
The Last of Us is a great comparison, actually. That's not something I thought of, but it's almost exactly the same, as in she's the peppy and optimistic one, and Obi-Wan's this one bittered by life experience. And in The Last of Us, Joel starts to see his daughter in Ellie, whereas in this, Obi-Wan starts to see her parents in Leia. So he sees elements of Anakin, sees elements of Padme, and he directly references Padme around her. So you remind me of someone I used to know. She was a leader, etc. But he's getting little flashes of Anakin in there as well. Her curiosity and boldness is very much an Anakin trait, I think. So there's a lot of both of her parents in her, which is something you don't really get from the Carrie Fisher portrayal, actually. Whereas in this, it's very deliberate that she is a reminder of these ghosts, in a way. Aaron, what did you think of young Leia? Oh yeah, I thought she was great for all the reasons you've said. It's one of those ones where the character is definitely connected to the character that we've seen before. Somebody is, and I say somebody only because it's not just the actress, it'll be the writing as well. People have created the person that we knew whilst altering her according to age. So, yeah, very well done. Yeah, I'm not sure about the holster thing. I can't remember if she was known to have a holster as a prop in the original trilogy that that's a beginning of. It's a bit like Han Solo's dice, isn't it? Were they a thing? Were they there? I suppose they were, but (laughs) they important. It doesn't really matter, though. The connection was simply the fact that during the original trilogy, she quite happily steps up in front of the arguing men, grabs the blaster and gets the job done faster than they can. So the holster isn't really necessarily the important thing. The important thing is she is perfectly capable with the blaster. She knows when to use it. That's the connection. Maybe there is a holster, but I think it's more the fact that she can use a blaster to good effect. Yeah, and then Tala is very much the inspiration for Leia to be like that, isn't she? There's a very deliberate, oh, I could be more like this person type connection there. Yeah, she becomes somebody who can get the job done no matter what it takes. So she isn't going to be purely a diplomat like her parents, but she isn't going to reject diplomacy like she originally thought she was. She's decided she's going to embrace her purpose in life, but she's going to do it her way and she's going to pick up all the skills that she thinks and use all the skills that she thinks are valuable and will lead to that. So yeah, she takes one inspiration from that character and incorporates it into herself. And I found out amusing that she was better at hiding than Obi-Wan was, because she was the one that had the story straight, and it was Obi-Wan that slipped when the stormtroopers were there. Yeah, she is shown to be skillful. Do you know, the thing that I thought was one of the best done for Leia was that it didn't find her annoyingly precocious, because this is the thing that you can often have with children in stories that's supposed to be amazing. They can be given skill sets that are completely inaccessible to them. And it's just, no, but they're just this good. And you can end up getting a bit of a Wesley Crusher response from some of your audience when you do that. But with Leia, she felt like she was always a child. When it was really scary, as a 10-year-old girl, she was still scared. And it wasn't wrong. It was because why wouldn't you be scared? It's nothing to do with any characteristics she's got. It was right. But when she needed to shine, she used skill sets that you believed were possible. Can a 10-year-old child come up with a good story? Well, yes, obviously, make-believe. They do it all the time. And if you add to that a child that's actually quite intelligent, that they can apply that skill well. So I felt that she was never annoying. She was precocious in that she was capable, but she wasn't annoyingly precocious having mad skills that just made her the most powerful person in the universe. 
So I think overall a very well done character. Yeah, and you had those little tastes of entitlement as well, such as when they were buying the disguises and she picked up the gloves and Obi-Wan's like, you don't need the gloves. And then, fine, and the gloves. And then pays for them. So she is still a princess. So she thinks that she should have things, I suppose. Well, that was good too, because it'd be very easy to make her, let's make her woke and let's make sure she's the best person ever. And it would have undermined that no, she was raised as a princess. So, yeah, I think that actually makes her even stronger as a character. Maybe you would say from a certain modern sensibilities point of view, we hope that she becomes more aware of her servants later on in life and goes on to be a better person because of it. Fine, if you want that. But it would have undermined the universe that they have created, which has got princesses. So, again, yeah, well-rounded character, well-built, well-played. There was little suggestions of the fact that she is rejecting some of that, such as saying thank you to the droid when it gives her a drink yeah. and arguing with her cousin about who's considered worthwhile. Something about you don't have to thank people who are beneath you. And she says, well, then I don't have to speak to you then. Whatever the dialogue was that was in the first episode. Yeah, she's privileged, but not spoiled. She's privileged, but she's not awful. So it's a nice balance. Yeah. So you can imagine that Bail Organa is giving her some decent values. You don't really know much about her mother or Bail Organa for that matter, to be fair. But I think you get the sense that she's more on his wavelength than hearts because he says things like, what ships did you see today when you were out in the woods? And they're supposed to be scolding her for it, but he's kind of impressed. So you get little bits of that. It's weird that Bail Organa has been around for a while and we don't actually know anything about him out of any of the things he's been in. The thing of it is though, He is by definition a supporting character. And in that, I would say that both Leia's mother and father do exactly what they need to. And even though that might be show one personality trait, that's what I need from that character at the moment. I do not want him to have a massive backstory. He is a supporting character to Leia, and so is Leia's mother. But what do you get from them? Leia's mother is laying down the rules, and Leia picks up on that and starts to realize that the rules are necessary and I'm going to use them. She adopts her diplomatic responsibilities at the end, but she never gets away from her father's sense of adventure and wonder. And the father has little chats with her throughout saying, I was like you, but I learned this. And these are the things in life that are important. Make sure you keep hold of them, even though you're going to grow older. So both of these two characters that we were given in the mother and father, I think were excellent characters because they both had this teaching angle to layer. And you saw actively in both of those characters' dialogue that they both teach layer very valuable lessons. And at the end, you get the payoff because she absorbs both of the lessons. Yeah, I definitely think Leia was my favourite thing about the show. I think it was that she was the best handled character. Back to Obi-Wan then, in terms of what he learns or what maybe he doesn't learn. Isaac, do you feel like he learns anything from this adventure? Do you feel like he gets better, gains perspective, or do you think he just ends up back where he started? Which is a bit of a leading question, because that's what I think. But let's hear it from you. Well, he's not back to being a broken man. He regains some hope. He's sort of grieving for the loss of his friend and the loss of the life that he's known. Over the course of this, he sees how the world is and confronts Darth Vader, who he feels guilty about failing, but he sort of realises he still has a purpose. Even though the Jedi are no longer in order, he can still live to the principles that the Jedi uphold, helping people and sacrificing your safety and making sure other people are okay. So I think it's more, but he gets back to where he was in the prequels and then where Alec Guinness will be as a more sage-wise character. So it's not so much back to doing flips and 
quips like he was in the original films, but he's certainly in a better place. A lot of his stuff he's been not really able to, be able to share or he's been holding on to a lot of his grief and depression over stuff. He's able to not move on, but he's able to be a bit of a healthier place than he was at the beginning of the series. Yeah, it does put him in the Alec Guinness frame of mind, if we're going to just refer to the actors as the benchmarks for these things. As in, the show ends with him basically where Alec Guinness version of the character begins. I don't know what I expected from it, but there's things that I feel like he doesn't learn or doesn't cover that are a real problem for me, which we'll come to. It's more in relation to Vader. He does see a bit of the rebellion, so he gets a sense of, oh, there are people out there fighting for freedom and fighting to get things back the way they were. So it's, I guess, a sense that hope isn't lost completely because there are people out there that aren't accepting the Empire, which maybe he should have known anyway because when Bail dropped him off on Tatooine, that was very much what was being thrown around at the time. They were saying, yeah, we're not going to let this sit. We're going to fight this in whatever way we can. So he should kind of know that already. Well, I suppose that's in a 10-year gap where things haven't really been super successful. They arrive sort of going like, oh yeah, the fight still continues, but as the reality of the new life and time marches on, the fighting spirit has faded a little. Yeah, plus he would be disconnected from how things are going, in theory, being on Tatooine, because it is supposed to be this backwater of the Luke Skywalker line, the bright centre of the universe here on the planet it's farthest from. That's his perspective, because I guess he's shielded from the excitement quote-unquote, of the, the universe around him. But maybe the Empire doesn't really touch Tatooine in the way that it does other planets. But Aaron, what did you think of Obi-Wan's development over the course of the series? The development that I see in the actor in what Ewan McGregor gave me, I thought was fantastic. What I would have liked to have seen more of was a bit of greater development of the plot that was suggested at the end when Obi-Wan has to decide what is more important to him. But I don't think that undermines seeing him regain his ideology, regain his purpose, and regain his connection to the Force. So I'll say those personal characteristics that enable him to function again as a fully-fledged Jedi were very well developed, and the character learned them believably through a series of problems. But maybe that final moment where he and Anakin have his standoff, I did think I wanted more with that. Because there's a few times I think they take a few shortcuts. I think it's almost the same as loads of things we podcast about, where we say there's loads and loads of elements here in the plot. And I do wish they'd stuck with one of them a bit more and cut out some of the others, such that We didn't have to just be told this is happening and oh, it's better. Because I got a bit of that feeling with the rebellion when it comes to them being on the ship and they're trying to get away from being chased by Darth Vader and his his Imperial. I can't remember what to call it now. What do you call the main war? Star Destroyer. The Star Destroyer. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Just age, I guess. But there's a few shortcuts to that where you're supposed to feel really emotional about the loss of a character, about the choices being made, about the self-sacrifice. And it comes across occasionally to me as, yeah, that's what was supposed to be emotional, but because you didn't put really enough time into or development into it, I don't feel like I emotionally connected to it. I understood intellectually what you're doing here, 
but I'm focusing on the fact that I don't understand why this ship can't get away from that ship and how you've just made a choice there and it didn't feel emotional. I was a bit too much in my head. So there's these moments where I think they rush through the plot that stops you having enough time with Obi-Wan reflecting on his connection with Anakin, which I think would have made the end point hit a lot harder and it wouldn't just seem like the two characters at the end just end up going in different ways. If you'd have got a bit of a better build-up, their choices to leave each other at that final moment would have made a lot more sense, maybe hit a lot harder, had a bit more power to them. So it's a difficult question. I've split it into two for that reason. His personal development, yes, great. His plot development, uh, yeah, I think I could have done more of that, fair enough. Yeah, and the ship that couldn't get away from the other ship, which had a ship with a working hyperdrive, in its cargo bay that didn't seem all that much smaller when you look at them. That's a bit of a logical issue there. But see, that's the problem. As soon as you start thinking about that, because it's just an intellectual plot point that they want you to just accept is true, it takes away from that emotional development. If it had been more focused somehow away from the physical danger of two ships fighting in space... And more about some of the other developments. Well, actually, I think it's a good example of it in Return of the Jedi, where Luke turns to the rest of them and says, I shouldn't have come. I'm putting the mission in danger. You actually get this realization that there's a problem because they are Jedi. And it's not about the fact that that is not a moon is much bigger than the shuttle you're coming in. That physical problem is gone. It's an emotional problem. It's a character problem. And I think I wanted to see more of that with Obi-Wan and Darth Vader, rather than there being problems with, can we blast down that door? Can we shoot that ship? Which isn't so emotional, especially because this is an emotional piece. This is all about the emotions of the characters. Yeah, and in order to do what you're talking about, they have to give you more information about how the ships work and how the mechanics of the technology works, which has never been Star Wars' thing. Not in the same way as Star Trek. No. There's not any kind of working knowledge about how that technology works. It just does. Or it doesn't, depending on what the scene means. But yeah, you need the characters to be connected to that. Otherwise, you start questioning, hang on, why is the hyperdrive on this ship working, but not on this one? And why can't they just use Mm. the other one, etc.? I found myself questioning that myself. But the issue I had with the Obi-Wan thing was specifically in his connection to Anakin slash Vader, and specifically in their final fight. Because what I really wanted from this show was, if we're going to be connecting these two after this period of time before they meet again in the fight that Obi-Wan dies in, which is far less emotive than it should be if you think about it. Again, it's that film made decades ago with no plans to spin out into anything else, so you have to take the rough with the smooth on that one. But in this, what I really wanted to see was Obi-Wan have a bit of a personal reckoning with himself about the choice he made when he defeated Anakin on Mustafar, because he had two choices, or three choices really. He could have mercy killed him, or he could have taken him with him to try and help him in some way. And he chose the third option of, I'm just going to leave him to burn to death and suffer horribly and hopefully die. Turns out he doesn't. And he's so angry that he's kept alive and driven by vengeance and what have you. And then they fight in this final episode and Obi-Wan's actually presented with the same choice again. And he makes the same decision once again because he has... Anakin defeated. He's cut his mask. He's destroyed the suit. He has the option there. And they do have a quick chat about, is Anakin in there? No, he's not, says Vader. We know, obviously, because we've seen Return of the Jedi, that Anakin Skywalker is still in there. But for the purposes of this, Obi-Wan tends to believe, fine, Anakin's dead. I'm satisfied with that. I'm off. 
So I'm going to leave this monstrous figure to continue tormenting the galaxy that he is responsible for creating in a way. So I didn't understand that decision to just leave him there because he knows what that will result in. Mechanically, they could have solved that just by having them separated during the fight. Fast and Furious style, just a big chasm separates them so they can't get to each other. God, no, no. I'm not saying that's exactly what they should have done, but I mean, they should have been separated by circumstance rather than Obi-Wan saying, I'm just going to leave. I don't think that's the best thing at all. What I would have preferred to have seen would have been this constant interplay between them that builds from, I learn you're alive, I wanted that earlier so I could get chimes to play with it. In the middle, I want the two of them to be going up against each other and... One of them wants revenge to bring the other one down, and the other one considers whether, as you say, can I have some reflection on this? I'm going to try and save you. And then at the final moment, the reason I want Obi-Wan to just leave is because he realizes that it's too late. Sometimes you just have to lose because there is no way of saving this person without actively doing a 30-year psychological work up on him and we can't do that and i want him to leave because there's something more important going on because the bit that really bothered me was he defeats vader and he's immediately on the planet to deal with the inquisitor whose name i can't remember Reva. and i thought no you could have done that so much more smoothly he chooses to go and deal with raver because she can be saved where Vader can't. And you have to realize, oh, this battle, it just cannot be won. So I'm walking away from it. I thought I could help you, but I can't. But you know what? There is somebody I can save. And I'm going to make sure I stop wasting time with you. And I'm going to go and do the best good in the universe that I can. And it makes it an emotional reason for leaving. He may not be able to defeat Vader, but maybe he can trap him long enough that he can escape and go and get to Reva. As I say, it makes it an emotional reason, which is, again, the focus of the plot. Then how does he live with the fact that he's still unleashing Vader on the galaxy? That's a problem there because he knows what Vader's going to go and do. In fact, he's seen that example through the Inquisitors. He knows that he will corrupt children. He knows that he will break people in order to turn them into Inquisitors. And that's just one of the horrible things that he'll do. So how do you resolve that fact that Obi-Wan just sits there and says, I'm okay with Vader being around. I'm satisfied that Anakin isn't in there anymore, but I'm okay with just leaving Vader to do whatever he wants. Yeah, but that's the thing, isn't it? That's what you would have liked this to have been about. And that's why I said, make him learn Vader's is Anakin earlier on. So you've got time to debate these ping backwards and forwards. Because what you've just opened the question to is a massive moral debate that we can't have here because it'll take too long. But the thing of it is, if you do explore some of the points, I think you could realistically get to the end point which is, to break it down a bit brutally, I have got a certain number of resources that I can spend. If I spend them on Darth Vader, despite the fact that it's my fault that he exists, it will achieve nothing because I cannot kill him. He's too strong. All I can do is keep him here in the battle forever until one of us starves. But if I spend those resources on Reva, I can bring somebody back from the dark to the light. The ripple effect of that spreading much more light throughout the galaxy might have a massive effect, and therefore spending those resources helps loads and loads of people. Now, again, you could argue that breaking it down to a resource consideration is immoral and that we can go into this massive debate if you want, but I can honestly see that what they could have done was go through six episodes where the end point, having faced off all of these moral quandaries, 
a human being could reasonably say and be supported by other reasonable human beings. No, turning Raver back to the light and saving Luke is a good enough reason to take this action. I think that would actually have been a plot that you would have said, I disagree with that, but I see what you've done. You might not be swayed by it, but you would have seen all the arguments. You'd have had your moral back and forth. Maybe it would have been a discussion point, actually. No, I would have stayed with Vader. Actually, I would have gone to Raver. The point is it just has to be reasonable enough for it to be considered a plausible action. Yeah, and then in order for that to work, you would need to have him not have completely defeated Vader in the way that he did. Well, no, like I said, I would have changed the plot. I loved Ewan McGregor's development ideologically, but I'm saying I felt I would need to rewrite a lot of the plot for that development. So yes, I'm changing that episode considerably. Yeah, so what you're saying is their fight is to a stalemate rather than to the defeat of yes. Vader by Obi-Wan. Yeah, absolutely. It becomes clear as they're fighting that Obi-Wan cannot win. They're evenly matched in effect. Yeah, and to be perfectly honest, I didn't need to see the recurrence of the breaking of the mask because Ahsoka doing that was great. And I know some people love the fact that it was a callback to that. It didn't seem to be a callback with purpose to me, so I did not need to see that. No, I would be perfectly happy with the stalemate and Vader saying, nope, you created me and I'm this now, you lose. And that being a weight that Obi-Wan has to carry with him for the rest of his life, knowing you're right, I completely failed you. And I feel bad about that, but I have to take that with me. So yeah, the stalemate to me would have worked really well. Yeah. Every attack that Obi-Wan lobbies on him just gets deflected. So they can't actually yeah. get a lick in. And Vader can't get a lick in on him either. I taught you too well. Yeah. We are both the supreme combatants for our side of the force now. We're both that good. So it wouldn't go anywhere. Yeah. And it was better done when Ahsoka did it. But Ahsoka had a more definitive motivation than Obi-Wan did in this show. Because there was that conversation they had where Vader says to her, Anakin's gone, can't be saved. And she says, well, fine, I will avenge him then. So she goes into that fight saying, fine, I'm going to kill you. And then it is the circumstances that prevent her from doing so. But she definitively makes a choice there and she's going to do it. And you can tell she's going to do it, which makes it more meaningful in that way. And I think they threw that in just to give that symmetry, I suppose, because even it's the other side of the mask that breaks in this show as well. But if you'd have given Obi-Wan that kind of emotional connection to Vader in this series, we would have been talking about that equally as well. That would have been true. But yeah, like you say, it's a different thing. So I got to it from a, they should have been separated rather than win or lose. And you got to it from the, they should have just been evenly matched and nobody should have won that fight. And Obi-Wan's only choice is keep doing this or leave. So yeah, I like that. That's good. But we kind of got to the same place in terms of them not doing it very well, I think. Although I would say don't take away from the fact that the ideological development, that regaining of your purpose in life, I still would like that to be said i thought that was really good though yeah they reference that with your strength has returned and other bits of dialogue that vader observes whereas in their earlier fight he's very much on the defensive he's no match for vader at that point oh absolutely isaac what did you think of this conclusion between the two characters in this final episode i think also in real world thingy there's going to be a fight between obi-wan and darth vader otherwise it would have been bring hayden christian ewan mcgregor back you're going to get them to have a fight and obviously they can't have a winner i can't have a definitive oh he chops everyone's head off because we're stuck in between the set timeline yeah we know how they both end up so yeah it's an awkward thing we like we have to have them fight that's gonna be a big thing everyone wants to see and you can't have a definitive winner <laughs> and it's always quite a difficult thing to do well except we did have a definitive winner that's my problem because Obi-Wan won he defeated him i think there's a relentlessness even before Obi-Wan turns and 
goes off. Darth Vader's still up for fighting. Still saying, like, I'll destroy you, I'll take you on, and whatever, of what I've seen of Darth Vader. This is the most focused, relentless one. If Obi-Wan had gone up and stabbed him or whatever in the head, the fight would have continued. (laughs) Damaged mask, damaged breathing stuff, damaged chest unit, but he's like, I'll still have a go. And I think also in terms of the mask breaking, it's because, again, real world, we have Hayden Christensen. People want to see him as Darth Vader. And the effect with the voice is very creepy and very well done, where it's sort of glitching out between the two of them. There's certain points where it's, it's the sort of style and not cheats, but people still want to see these things. It's the same with Obi-Wan's stance and the hello there and those things. It's stuff that they may not be the best story beats, but that's going to be the gif on Twitter for a bit. It's a talking point. It's the same thing with any sort of callbacks and stuff. I think a lot of that fight was, yes, we need to have a fight because that's where this is all leading to. I've not watched too much expanded world of Star Wars. But before this, I never really was that fussed about Darth Vader. He's fine. But I never saw him as the terrifying threat character. Wow. He was good, but he was just like, oh yeah, he's just Darth Vader. But in the bit in episode three, his first real appearance where he's just pulling people out of windows and dragging people along and just this absolute monster. That was good. It's just a brutal, horrible machine. <laughs> this is a very good showcase of, yeah, this is an absolute nightmare. This is just a giant monster of a thing. <laughs> Even in the sense of the way this version fights, he's not designed for the showman moves of young Anakin. Mm. He is brutal, it's heavy, it's giant swings, and, and there's, a, there's a great point in the final fight where Ewan McGregor does his trademark lightsaber deflect over his back, <laughs> and Darth Vader just punches him on the nose. <laughs> it's really fun, it's impressive, but it's not tactical. It looks cool, the prequel lightsaber fights. It's showmanship, but Darth Vader now is like, oh no, it's savage, and more cold and brutal. It's not in for showmanship. Well, Darth Vader is in for showmanship. Even in Rogue One, where he holds his breath so that he can do the breath at the maximum point of fear. He is a showman, <laughs> but as well as being a showman, he is also a machine. He is just a killing machine. There was something I found a bit off about Vader in the show in terms of the voice and the performance of that voice. I couldn't put my finger on why initially, but I read that they used that machine generated dialogue thing that they used for Luke Skywalker in Book of Boba Fett. So as in, we're fed in everything James Earl Jones has ever said as Darth Vader through the films, video games, whatever he's done. And we can now spit out James Earl Jones as Darth Vader saying anything. When I knew about that, that seemed to solve my problem of, oh, okay, that's why it is. Because if you look at Vader in the original trilogy or other appearances, he does talk quite quickly. He can be quite sarcastic at times. In Rogue One, you see him say things like, don't choke on your aspirations, General. He has a sense of humour about him, whereas this, it was, he was talking very slowly and very deliberately. and He didn't have any of that inner life that he has before, and I think that's something that maybe lost. Is that a problem? I found it a problem. The one thing I do want to see with these things is development. And I would have said that everything Isaac said resonated to me and meant that everything you're saying wasn't anything I missed because of that development. You only really learned this from a throwaway line at the end from the Emperor. I wanted to see more of Vader going rogue here throughout the whole series to support that line better. When he says... Can you really not give up on this one tiny little thing? Well, if you can't, then you're not really going to be much use to me as a student, are you? I might have to think about getting rid of you. I've got a coffee boy I think I can replace you with. And he's really laying into Vader with this deep insult because he's the Sith. You know, it makes a lot of sense. Maul's out there. I'll see if I can get him back. Well, you know. So I was happy to see that development. 
at this point in his career as Vader and his life as Vader, he is pure revenge. He doesn't have the humor in him because he's pure revenge. He doesn't have any lightheartedness because he's pure revenge. And you could see that Vader being different to the the Vader that you know with good purpose, therefore. I, I don't think I wanted to see what you're saying because I wanted to see this going on. Now, I think it would have impacted more, like I said, if they'd have built it up a bit. You don't have to show the Emperor. It can just be some office comes in. We've got orders from the Emperor, sir. And Vader turns to him and the guy thinks, I'm going to get choked out here. I'm running for it. <laughs> I wanted to see Vader going rogue. He's actively disobeying the Emperor so he can pursue his vengeance. He actively turns away from the real mission so he can go after Obi-Wan. And then I think you would have observed reasons for this cruelty, this brutality that Isaac's describing that doesn't necessarily seem to connect into the Vader you know. Well, the Vader you know would have been the one that developed when he finally said, okay, my career here as a Sith means I have to put this vengeance aside. I'm going to use it as fuel. It is going to be the thing that powers my force abilities for the rest of my life, but I'm not going to get to resolve it. And he would have, again, had that same emotional development. And I say, I would have had to have rebuilt the entire plot to get this, but that's what I think was employed in that final line. And I think that would have allowed you to not need this jokey character because you would have seen much more of a reason for this thing that Isaac loved and that I also loved. I thought Vader was awesome in this entire thing. And if we're bringing up Vader's fight scenes, we have to mention him against Reva because that was just one of the best things in this whole show. It was good because it was a villain thing. If you actually had it happen, you'd be thinking that was horrendous. But that's why it was such a good scene. Because as Isaac says, he's not using any dodging around abilities because he's a big guy. But he just doesn't need to. Oh, you're going to do that trick? Well, I stand here and move a tiny little finger. Are you going to do that trick? I'll look at you in the right way. And I can defeat you by moving my head one centimeter. Oh, you've got two weapons. I'll put mine away. Oh, look, I've got your two. It was just horrible. It was torture. It was horrible, but it was so good to watch. We'll definitely get to Reva just on the Vader thing. What did you think of the flashback scene where they bizarrely didn't bother to de-age Hayden Christensen, so you have this 40-year-old Anakin as a Padawan. I was going to say with the Vader voice, I know after Solo, Disney kind of soured on recasting or the happy using voice thingies for Luke and Darth Vader, but then I really like, if we're getting Hayden Christensen, they let him just be him. There's no de-aging or anything. We're getting him. This is his scene. And he's back. I really thought it was really nice. I didn't mind. Yeah, he looked a little older. A little older. <laughs> I much preferred him being like, that's what Hayden Christen looks like now. His one scene of him being back and it's a sort of greasy face over it that's young with the Darth Vader voice. I do hope they don't do too much of it being AI or the Tarkin thingy from Rogue One where they have an actor and they put the face of Peter Cushing. I hope they move away from that. So I'm really happy when Hayden Christen was back and... He got his proper scene where he was not in the, the suit and we got to see him, that it was actually him and not a de-aged version. I really like that they made that choice to be like, we'll show you the real one. Here's real Hayden Christensen. So I thought it was very charming. I think I would have preferred it to be a sort of what-if dream sequence rather than a memory of them training, because then you could have them as the age they are now, as a kind of, this is how it should be. Well, I think in terms of that episode, because it was kind of like mirroring the tactics, wasn't it? The lessons that Obi-Wan's teaching him in that sparring match. 
you're always fighting to win or whatever he says. Yeah, you've always got to fight to win. Just because you've taken the weapon off me doesn't mean you've won. So I think it was more of a mirror of Obi-Wan knows how this guy thinks because he's trained him and he knows Anakin was always more aggressive and he rushed it. He was more headstrong fighter than, what's the word? Tactician. Tactician, that's the one. He's not like a considering tactician fighter. He's like, oh yeah, I'm really good. I'm just going to go in and just bash him and I'll win. So I think the flashback scene made sense in relation to that episode where he's like, oh yeah, I know how Vader works. I know that Anakin still is the same. He's still impatient because that's what he was like when he was a Padawan and he's still this. He could have done a what if. And I know that he's going to be back for Ahsoka and maybe they'll do something or maybe we'll see him again in that age. But I think for that story, I really liked how it saw parallels. They still know each other. They know how each other think and they know how each other... So I think it was for that purpose. But the stuff you're talking about, you have to forget about the Clone Wars, which bothers me as well, because it is canon and Anakin develops significantly during the Clone Wars. And then suddenly at this point, it's I'm going to use what he was like when he was a young, headstrong, idiot Padawan, rather than this season generally he became during the Clone Wars. So they're kind of picking and choosing what personality traits stick, which is kind of an issue. Aaron, what did you think of that flashback? Do you think it worked? Do you think it had any meaning to it? I wanted to see more of them actually based on the plot's development I've just described because I I wanted to see more of the two of them developing off each other and seeing the state that it was, seeing the foundation stone of the house that we're then going to build throughout this was important to me. So I didn't bother what age they were and I'll say yes, would have wanted to see that developed more. Yeah, one thing that's clear though, Hayden Christensen is no better an actor than he was when he was in those movies. Or, as someone pointed out, perhaps he's such a good actor that he was able to replicate the performance that he did in those movies. I'm telling you, you are right on the dark side. You're right there. You're going to do your turn around at the end. Aidan Christensen's still a bad actor, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Probably a nice guy. Further into that dark side, yeah. Embrace the hate. Okay, let's get on to Reva then. You could argue that this show is a sort of stealth Reva show with Ewan McGregor in it, as in she gets a lot of focus. And we won't get into the hate the actor got online. Because I don't know why, I don't understand why, even if you don't like the character. But that's the thing with Star Wars, isn't it? Rose Tico, everyone hates her because she's Asian, not because they don't like the character or whatever. It's disgusting and it's beside the point. But Reva is a new character, so she's one of the younglings, to use the term, that survived the assault on the Jedi Temple. She escaped and then she decided that she was going to make it her life's mission to get close enough to Vader so that she could get revenge, which means that she becomes an Inquisitor and then waits to pick her moment, which I think is a very strange motivation. It's a very strange way to formulate your plan there. I'm going to follow orders for decades and then wait for the time to strike. Or a decade, I suppose. I quite like it because the Empire, on the surface level, are relatively easy to break into. But in terms of Vader, he will hunt light side users and he will take you down if you know like oh i'm not good enough to fight him but i need to get close to him it'd be a suicide mission to train up and go against him on the hunt she can learn from him and the inquisitors as an inquisitor in a relative safety and then pick your time to strike it's the keep your friends close and your enemies closer sort of style so i think it works as a plot as in surviving as a force user in those times as a twist as well i didn't see it coming along. I don't know if it was obvious to everyone else, but I was like, oh, cool, that's fun. Well, I knew she was going to be one of the younglings when they started with the Order 66 oh, yeah. opening. But I mean, in terms of that she was against Vader, her love of anger was actually focused on getting Vader. I don't know if that was obvious to you guys. When it came along in that episode, I was like, oh, wow, cool, that's a fun twist. I didn't see it coming, but I didn't really like what they did with it. What I would have preferred they did with her is she has designs on being the Grand Inquisitor, and 
Vader promises her that position and then he laughs at her essentially when he points out that she was never going to be Grand Inquisitor. And that's what motivates her to move against them. I think that would have made more sense to me rather than harboring this decade grudge after the attack on the Jedi Temple because she kept enough of her Jedi sensibilities from being a child to really hate Vader and want revenge on him for killing all the other kids at the temple. I mean, it worked for the Emperor. He just weaseled himself in and bided his time, I guess. But if she was just like, oh, I didn't get a promotion, that's not that entertaining of a thingy. It's more of the humiliation, though, isn't it? Well, she was put in the position and then, ha, you were never getting it. Yeah, it's just Duffy just using her as a tool. I think I prefer her being against Vader. And also, I suppose, she knew Vader was Anakin, so she she knew why Obi-Wan was important. So her focus on Obi-Wan also then makes sense in that plot that she knows that going after Obi-Wan, it'll get Vader interested, is more invested in this than if I just tried really hard at rounding up Force users and stuff. Aaron, what did you think of Reva and her motivation and her end goal? I was fine with that. I would have removed the Grand Inquisitor. That was the weak point for me. I didn't really know why that character was there. I understood why he was there in terms of the literal plot, but I'm a bit bored with people getting stabbed in the belly and then they're fine a few moments later. Remember when lightsabers were lethal? Two people got run through with a lightsaber in this show and they survived. It becomes a lot of the plot needs it, I think, and the whole Grand Inquisitor was the weak point in that for me. I would have been happy to remove the Grand Inquisitor entirely and have it all about the connection between Lord Vader and Inquisitor Raver because you've got enough of a problem there already. I'm going to raise myself up and be this amazing Inquisitor and then Lord Vader turns down and says, so what? You're not a Sith. You're not even an apprentice Sith. You're just an Inquisitor. You're a tool to be used. You're a Sith henchman. Yeah, that's all you are and that could be your, oh, but I was a Jedi. I was going to be a Jedi Knight. And the equivalent of that is is I get to be a Sith. But I've lost that. And there could have been a whole trajectory of that that I think I would have used instead. The revenge angle, though, I think that's fine. The whole idea of the long game. As Isaac says, you can't just turn up and have a shot at Vader. How are you going to do that? If you are going to have a proper shot at him, you need to learn. And that is going to take you decades. I think better potentially would have been the whole idea of this fight inside her of being light side versus dark side because at the start you think oh it's okay i can walk the dark side to get the tools that i want and it'll be fine i'll resist it and then you slowly weaken 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 until somebody like obi-wan turns up and says you realize you've completely lost your way and you're as bad as the sith now at which point this seed of doubt comes into her head and she's like oh hang on a minute yeah maybe you're right and then it gets towards the end and she has a revelation and thinks, no, I should never have given up on becoming a Jedi Knight. Going down this path was wrong. So I think it worked perfectly fine for me. Again, it comes back to things would have been stronger if they'd had more time. Things would have been stronger if they hadn't been diluted. And for me, the Grand Inquisitor and that whole Inquisitor line was a bit of a dilution, I think, that took away from what we could have seen. Yeah, and then the problem with the Grand Inquisitor as well is we've both seen Rebels and he was used... In that, and there's obviously the fact that they didn't make him look that great in this show. He didn't even look like who he was supposed to be, so cut him completely. He doesn't need to be here. And he's going to be in the Fallen Order sequel as well, I believe. So the Grand Inquisitor is turning up in a lot of places where he can't die. He's the same problem as Obi-Wan and Anakin in this show. He's invincible because we see him die in Rebels. I did love how smug he was. He was so slimy. I really enjoyed it. The guy who played him was having a great time just being a real pantomime. Oh, is it like on Ralphie? Oh, how did that? Oh, what a shame. 
Yeah. I mean, he was well played by some what he was given. Yeah, the actor did a great job. I'll give you that. I did like where Reva ended up, though, even though it was a bit contrived, the whole her chasing Luke down and Luke can't see her, so he has to get knocked out, all that stuff. We know that Luke hasn't ever seen anything exciting, so therefore he has to just run far enough away so he doesn't see anything and then get knocked out. But the fact that Reva saw herself as Anakin and couldn't go through with it because she's not as bad as he is, I suppose. I quite like that. And then Obi-Wan, as you said earlier, Aaron, redeeming her or helping her grasp onto that redemption that she's already reaching for. That was all pretty good. Mm, Yeah, good stuff. I don't know if I want to see her again, though. I feel like that's about it. I'm not that interested in seeing what else she might have to offer. Well, the problem that they've created with it, because they didn't develop it, because it wasn't a seed of doubt that slowly grows bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, because it's just resolved... You're not sure where it's going to go. There's this danger that she's going to have to fall back a bit in order to then go back through the moral development again. So I would have liked to have seen her, but I would have liked to have seen her because she was still dangerously close to falling back into the dark side. But maybe that's what they'll do. I I, I don't know. I don't think they'll be like Reva in the show. That's already rumoured. I could see her popping up in an episode of something on her new path sort of character her big story was here i think and i think maybe she'll be in a mandalorian or something one of those shows she'll, she'll show up and be like oh yeah this is who i am now bye everyone or an ahsoka or whatever and i suppose that'll be fine but there are rumors of a reva spin-off show being developed but yeah i'm not sure where she can go from here does she just go and become a good samaritan gray jedi type person is that interesting? If they do it well, it will be, but yeah. Yeah, of course. It depends on the execution, but they haven't really left a lot to work with in that respect. Can't take credit for this observation, but Isaac, you told me that on a video roundup of this, pointed out that Obi-Wan has an Inquisitor lightsaber on Tatooine after Reva renounces her Inquisitorship. So is he just helicoptering around the canyons? Yeah, a recut scene in A New Hope where he gets to the final fight and he just pulls out this spinning shield blade <laughs> super weapon thing. It's not really worth anything thinking about it, but it's just quite an amusing prospect. What does she do after this? Does Obi-Wan keep that lightsaber? Obviously not. Yeah, just a ceiling fan. <laughs> it's really hot in his new house. Instead of igniting the lightsaber blades, he just sticks two bits of metal in and just <laughs> has it on his ceiling. Just, oh, I can't. Finally. <laughs> I live in the desert. I've needed this all my life. Connected to that is the Owen and Baru obviously holding off Reva as best they can. And then them accepting Obi-Wan afterwards. Because the show starts with Owen saying, stay away from us. This is all your fault, etc. And then at the end, it's, oh, do you want to meet Luke and whatever? But then you get to a new hope and suddenly he doesn't like Obi-Wan again. So obviously something happens in those 10 years. But I would have quite liked it if they'd done it the other way around. Starts off with with Owen being on board with the fact that Obi-Wan is around in case anything happens. And then grows to resent him because the one job that he gave himself and then the one time he's actually needed, he's not there. He doesn't show up until the last minute. And it's only the fact that Reva decides not to kill Luke, that Luke is alive. It's got nothing to do with anyone else. That would have been a good point of this is why I don't like him. I think. Again, there's all just characters that are around in the background. The guy who played Owen. Joel Edgerton. Yeah, he's in the prequels. I can't remember, is he just about on Tatooine or does he know Anakin particularly well? I don't remember his character very much. When they go and attack of the clones to Tatooine oh, because Anakin's mom. dreaming about his mother, he's there with Baru on the farm. And it's his father that bought Shmi Skywalker and then released her as a slave and married her. 
Yeah. And then he's in one shot, effectively, in Revenge of the Sith when he gets handed the baby. But that was before Joel Edgerton became a bigger actor than he was then. He's not massive now, but he's been in a few things. His appearance in this may not have been that meaningful, but he was only in, again, two episodes, really. But Owen in A New Hope doesn't like Obi-Wan at all and doesn't want Luke anywhere near any of this. So... That would have been a logical origin for that mindset if he just resented the fact that Obi-Wan wasn't there and they got lucky this time. Yeah, I can see why that would be. He thought he was able to rely on Obi-Wan, but then like, Obi-Wan is just off. It's like, oh, sorry, I was out when he needed him. Yeah, you had one job, Obi-Wan. Where were you? Off saving another child at the time. Aaron, do you have thoughts on the Owen progression, such as it is? I was okay with it as it was. If it had gone your way, I wouldn't have minded either. I think they were both fine. I see them as a couple of supporting characters. They did what they needed to do. I didn't need them to be centre stage having a massive development, to be honest. That wasn't what they were there for. I saw them more like Leia's parents. They should be there to do a job for the plot and then step back, which is a shame for if he's a bigger actor now, but kind of tough, I guess. Yeah, and there would have been a time commitment issue potentially in terms of those things. And there was a lot of reshoots on the show, allegedly, or certainly last minute rewrites and things. So the actors probably didn't have a lot of time to prepare for what they were actually doing versus what they thought they were going to be doing. So there's those considerations. There are not considerations I take into account, but they are there. Darth Maul was supposed to be in the show originally and someone in the writer's room said, oh no, we did that. We resolved that. That's something that has already happened. We don't need to crowbar in another conflict with Maul in this. It was just again, something that bothered me. It's so weird because they were so committed to getting to the point that Obi-Wan is at A New Hope so they had something staring them in the face that they could have done and then didn't do it. A bit on the wider universe, and I think that comes into the other characters. So you've got particularly Tala and Roken, and I didn't get his name, but the Kamal Nanjiani fake Jedi guy. Start with that one. I found the same problem with Kamal Nanjiani as I did with actors like Woody Harrelson. The actors that have that established persona and other things that you see them in, it lifts me out a bit when they put them in Star Wars. I don't know why, it just does. I don't know if anybody else feels that. They just populate the episodes, really. I did enjoy Zach Braff's fascist weasel. <laughs> didn't know he was Zach Braff until I read about it afterwards. I think of all the guest stars, I guess, the other characters kicking around in the planets they visit, I think he was my favourite. because He was a friendly face sort of character, but also, yeah, he's not aligned. Seems like, oh yeah, he's just a helpful farmer guy, but also they've walked headlong into danger. And in terms of, I was going to call him Luther's wife, but Luther's wife, the other rebel, and the rebel team and the robot and stuff. They're just sort of like, oh yeah, they're just Star Wars guys, just being just Star Wars and about. They're just sort of there to need help or to have a shit. I didn't give them too much thought, but it's because that's their role they play. They're helping out the story progress. They're not expendable, but we're not going to get their stories really fleshed out. They're just sort of there to populate the episodes. Yeah, were you distracted by Kamal Nanjiani? Aaron, or were you fine? I was not distracted by him early on when he was the fake Jedi on the planet, technically helping people, but kind of not. And I even didn't mind the fact that he commits to the real truth behind himself when he confronts Raver, although I thought, you're dead here, this is the end of you. But later on, maybe it was harder to deal with with a character that was so, for want of a better word, fun. Because once it gets really, really serious, trying to use the fun stuff to give yourself a break is difficult to write that, I think, and do it well. And because he's so jovial, and even then he's changed to being, I am now fully dedicated and one of you, so I'm serious. I was thinking, no, you're the comic character. You're the one to give us the light. 
So when he tries to go serious, I maybe have found that slightly harder to deal with. So at the starting point, no, not at all. It was fine. But again, are you thinking it was another character that they had to get in and give them more lines when I really wanted to see a lot more going on with Obi-Wan, Raver, and Darth Vader and Leia, obviously, the four of them. They were the plot to me, giving this really famous actor more and more stuff later on. No, he had an excellent cameo on that one planet in that one episode, and then he's gone. That would have been better, I think. Yeah, that should have been. Marvel used him way better in terms of giving him a bit of range to play with, whereas here it's, ah, this is what he's known for, let's just let him do that, which is a bit limiting. The range, I think, was still there in terms of he starts out completely unserious, and then in the final moments... He gets to turn it around and be the saviour, be the hero. He's almost doing a microcosm of a comic Han Solo. And I think that would have given him a bit of range to play with. That still would have been fine. He wouldn't have been a one-shot. He wouldn't have been a one-ability person. Yeah. We've got other background elements that tell us a bit about the state of the universe. And I don't think they lean into it as heavily as they could. The fact that these characters are there suggests that they need to do more with them, but they don't. People like Tala, for example, they tried to make it too simplistic about the, I joined the Empire when it stood for something, and now I don't think it does, so therefore I'm working to bring them down from the inside. That's fine as a statement, but it invites a lot of weird questions around her motivation. It's, what did she think the Empire stood for, for example? Because it's pretty self-evident the Empire is just an evil organisation. So... What got her in and what changed that? I mean, I don't think it's that simple, but I admit they didn't necessarily give us that in the plot itself because you know that the Empire is an evil organisation because you get to see the inside of it all the time. And we're lucky in our modern day and age that we can get... Here's a comparison I didn't mean to make. We can see into the doors of Number 10 and Boris Johnson's cabinet because we've got the press... But this is a galaxy-spanning thing. When you've instead got something like the Republic falling apart, inefficiencies, probably corruption everywhere, if you're living on the edge with no money and no fuel and nothing, like a lot of people are in the current world now, you would look to your leaders and say, they're awful, they're corrupt, they're bad, get rid of them. And then some bright, shining light comes along and says, hang on a minute, I can give you order. I can bring food back to your table. Your children won't be starving. Here's some fuel. And I'm going to get rid of all the corruption by getting rid of these people entirely. Now, you don't have to stray too far into history to get people that have done that. You don't actually have to see too far here in Britain to say that there's enough people in Britain that didn't like Europe enough to vote for Brexit. Now, you might think Brexit was awful, but a lot of people thought, no, we need to get out of this stagmenting European bureaucracy. It's bad for us. It's causing us trouble. Whether I disagree or not, I have to acknowledge that these people have a viewpoint that is coming from the fact that they're having real trouble getting jobs, feeding their children, and they blame the authority. So I I don't know that you could quite easily say, why did you think that really evil pillar of the community was good? That's a stupid thing, isn't it? No, she was misled, but I will agree they didn't give that in the episode and did she need more time to do so i could only come back to i honestly think quite a lot of things needed more time and and she'd be one of them yeah because it is just a declarative statement and it's one of those things that makes you stop and think well hang on a minute got some questions here okay they stood for something what was that something imagine you'd seen on her planet a flashback where the stormtroopers didn't use blasters but were giving out food to a grateful 
people. And that was what she saw. She'd been looking up at these people coming in in their black and white uniforms and they give out free food and they give out fuel. And all they want is for you to get rid of your corrupt leaders. Sign me up. I'm ready for that. And then, of course, when she actually gets into it and she learns, oh, part of this is putting people into slavery and shooting them. Right. That's not what I saw. So I think it'd be an easy sell. But again, they did not do this in this episode. And then you get the almost opposite side of the coin with the brief showing of Alderaan in its pre-asteroid field form, where it's a planet with people on it that hasn't been blown up yet. But you get the idea that these people are benefiting from the suffering and they don't really care, which might paint Bale and what's his wife's name? Does it tell you? I don't know. But it might paint them in a bit of a shugly light because they are benefiting from the Empire will still not liking it but it's the yeah we don't like this but we have to stay rich in order to fight it there's a suggestion of depth here that they could really play with mm. i would be interested to see them actually explore the inner workings of this galaxy in that way i'm not talking about give us the phantom menace where they sit and have 10 minute political debates but show us how people are living their lives and give us those examples yeah. you see the veteran clone sitting there asking for money because he's useless now yes that kind of stuff. Those little bits of texture and there's ways that they could explore it and you have the characters here that can explore it and they don't. Yeah, but that's the thing about shortening your focus. Bringing less things into clearer focus. Stop having so many planets with so many characters with so many cameos trying to get everything in. Trust the fact that you can have good development in a small place because it's only six episodes. You're not going to carry this on forever. Yeah, in which case you pick what you're going to explore and then do that rather than... Try and force it all in. Isaac, are you happy with the background stuff like Tala? Yeah, like I sort of said, it's just decoration. It's just world building just so that it's not just like three characters running around all the time. Yeah, it's a difficult one because you need the time to do this and then it needs to be about that as well rather than whatever it's about. But I suppose if they just refined it to one or two planets. And I think visually it was just a lot of big grey boxes they were going to anyway. So it could have been less big grey boxes. And then that would have been less of a problem. Let's get on to our highlights and lowlights. We've already covered the lightsaber fights, really. Does anyone have anything else to say about the lightsaber fights? Aaron, did you get everything on the Reva one that you wanted to talk about? Happy to summarise with, it was awesome. For reasons already given. Then we had the base under siege one, which was in the fifth episode. We need to open a door, we need to close a door, whatever it was. And an observation that Chris made, I won't credit myself with this, is about Leia's little droid, Lola. Is every droid in the Star Wars universe weaponized? Why are you giving this to a child? It's the Swiss Army droid type thing. Not my biggest problem with this episode, I wouldn't have said. (laughs) It's an interesting note, but I guess I'm not freaked out by it. That episode did have my favourite Vader moment where he just walks into the hangar and rips a ship to pieces. Oh, that was good. In seconds. But then he didn't do it to the other ship as it was flying away. Do you know what the one thing the Force cannot tackle? It's the plot force. And that's all. What can you do? That's slightly too far away. I can't tear that apart, apparently. beyond my reach i don't really have anything to say about that base under siege but other than that it was fine that was the one where obi-wan and reva had a meaningful chat i suppose for me it comes back to the same thing wanted more of the chats wanted to cut down on some of the extra plot stuff so we could get to the chats because i think the bit isaac picked out is the best part of that when vader is walking through a village being awful that is amazing put that somewhere but i didn't need to see the rebellion in such great detail it was just too much and the whole base thing comes from that yeah you could have obi-wan's last encounter with them be similar thing to the look thing that i shouldn't have come i've left you all in danger and then he goes to confront vader for that reason which he ultimately does but i think it takes longer than it should Mm. 
the Inquisitor base infiltration was the other one. Cut it. Yeah, completely. But there's a bit of bias on my part there because I played Fallen Order and it was way better when it was done there. What they did was they did a cheaper version of that, but Obi-Wan runs in, it's got five guys in it or something. There's hardly anybody there, so he's just running happily around the corridors. He decides not to put on a Stormtrooper uniform after drowning one for some reason and just runs around the corridor and hits people with a lightsaber here and there, and then sneaks Leia out under a coat. Are you trying to do a serious threat here, or are you trying to do a farce? What are you doing here? You can't have both. I didn't mind it. I thought it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> You've had the big, dramatic Vader part in the previous episode, so you kind of need a breather episode. But they were trying to sell us on how dangerous it was, and then the execution of it wasn't anything. And then you had that weird scene about the well, there's a tomb under here of Jedi frozen in amber or something like that is that building to anything is that something that i've missed i don't think it really tells you much more than they're in here they're just a, a sort of all oh, these guys are bad these are mm. evil yeah there's that so inquisitor based thing too farcical for me i think there is room for that in star wars we've had that before they're running around the death star is very much like that but it's a romp whereas this they were trying to sell you on how serious and dangerous it all was and then it seems comparatively easy yeah not much to say about that one. <laughs> <laughs> another issue i had was Obi-Wan, when he's in hiding, or when he's sneaking around with Leia, dresses like a Jedi, which is a bit stupid. I did like, so he's got his, like, Tatooine civilian gear on, and he's sort of like, oh no, if they see you with your lightsaber, you're dead, like, you're done. And then when he gets on the plane at the end of episode one, he's just got it on his belt. (laughs) He swishes his coat back, here's my ticket, and it's just right. Not hidden at all. It's like, yeah, I'm back to being me again. Aaron, you'll remember this from Rebels, where Kanan, the character in that show, he had his lightsaber in different pieces around his belt. Whenever he was going to use it, he'd have to reassemble it. Oh, right. I forgot that, yeah. That was a cool little way of doing it. But he dresses like a Jedi. He's wearing the robes and everything. He's wearing exactly what he would when he was employed, I suppose, as a Jedi. And then you had that weird scene with the Stormtroopers. It's like, hey, you with a beard dressed as a Jedi. We're looking for a guy with a beard dressed as a Jedi with a little girl. Have you seen anything like that? Nah, not us. We're just here for some reason. We're here visiting family or something. Again, the Stormtroopers are inept, but they're not that inept, especially when you have the wanted picture, the wanted hologram of Obi-Wan. Would have been funny if you just put like a white t-shirt and jeans and <laughs> a pair of vans on or whatever. It's just whatever you McGregor was wearing to set. It's like, I wonder color. Have a shave. The beard is the distinctive thing about you, right? So have a shave. You'll instantly blend in. Related to that as well, and it goes back to what you were saying, Aaron, earlier, or maybe it was you, Isaac. I forget. It was some minutes ago about training a Jedi at a certain age. And you get about where Obi-Wan says to Leia about kids are taken away and trained as Jedi from a young age. And he says he remembers his mother and father and he thinks he remembers a brother. And it doesn't go into whether that's something he regrets or feels like is wrong. That goes into what I was saying about this show should have been about Obi-Wan reflecting on his life, reflecting on his choices, reflecting on what's happened to him. And it would have been maybe interesting for him to look back and think, maybe it's not right that children are taken from their families and turned into Jedi. He does counter it by saying, then I found a new family, the Jedi, and I was fine after that. There's something there that could be explored and they don't do it. I think it just comes down to the same thing, though. You put too much in, there's not enough time. So yes, they could have done more with that if they'd have given time to do more of his reflections. Yeah, so then just don't mention your family that you left behind because you don't have time. But it may have been an interesting thing because the whole idea he comes round to in terms of training Luke, he trains Luke when he's 19 years old. So he's obviously going against the grain of what the Jedi are supposed to be, as he understands it, in order to do that. So there could have been some build-up of, "Mm, maybe the Jedi as was, we're doomed to fail and it was our fault and whatever, and things need to be different. 
Yeah, with more time. I do know there's an expanded universe story where Obi-Wan meets his brother. I don't know if it's still canon or not, but that happened. Isaac, you any thought on the Jedi Code and the way that he references it? Another yeah, one thing about it's about helping people and is going from being self-protecting and keeping hidden, then going back to the Jedi Code as he sort of progresses again and gets used to it again, but nothing else to really add. Sure. Okay, let's move to summaries then. Aaron, what are your final thoughts on Obi-Wan now that we've discussed it? Do you think the show justified its existence? Do you want to see more Obi-Wan, or do you feel like it was a bit of a string of missed opportunities? Well, a a mixed bag of a few of those things, I would say. I think they missed the biggest part of it, which was having Vader and... Obi-Wan learning something about themselves in relation to each other. I think I would have, as I said before a couple of times, bring the learn about Vader forwards and have the whole show be about the two of them. So the most important part of it received the least attention, I think, or not enough attention at the very least. So that's a bit of a shame. However, the flavor that's decorating that base storyline, I thought was Excellent. I cannot say enough about your McGregor giving us an amazing Obi-Wan that developed from somebody who was a bit older, more afraid, lost his purpose, and then refinding that all and doing some good with it at the end. That was just amazing for me. All parts of that I, I would have seen. And the effort that they put into developing the show in terms of the style and characteristics of the characters that they gave us, the lightsaber scenes, some of the thought process behind who's going to do what at what point in terms of how are they going to show their fear? How are they going to develop beyond this? All that was amazing. So I suppose, unfortunately, that leads me to, I really loved what they did in the foreground and I really like seeing this show because of it, but I really wish they'd have developed more of what I thought was the main plot thread. And from seeing more of Obi-Wan, I know I'm not going to get back to seeing that. So that's a shame. So I'm glad I saw it. But yeah, I thought maybe it could have improved on even the good that it was. It could have turned to great with some changes. Sure. Isaac, what are your final thoughts? I love this show. I thought it was great. It was a bit clunky and it didn't always make too much sense. But I think it's just really fun seeing Hugh McGregor back and Hayden Christensen and having a Star Wars show that's not The Mandalorian where there's lightsabers and stuff that I like. <laughs> I was willing to forgive a lot of sins for just being the Star Wars stuff that I want to see. I know we've got like Andor and the other Rebel thingy show coming up, but I hope they do more of this lightsaber force magic Star Warsy stuff. I would definitely watch more of this. I'd watch more. Hugh McGregor or other Jedis or Jedi Fallen Order to do one of those shows. Yeah, this is the kind of Star Wars stuff I'd want to tune into. Plenty more of this, please. Sure, yeah. My final thoughts are, I thought the show was mostly fine up until the final episode, and I found the final episode really frustrating and annoying because it felt like it wasn't really building to anything for me, particularly in the conflict between Anakin and Obi-Wan. I was going to say Anakin and Vader, which I suppose is a conflict within itself if you consider them to be two different people. Are they two different people or are they the same person? The lore goes back and forth on that, doesn't it? It doesn't really arrive at a conclusion on whether Anakin and Vader are the same person or some kind of dissociative personalities. It's not important. The show doesn't give you either of those really or it gives you both of those but doesn't conclude on either anyway the final episode really annoyed me in terms of it feeling like it just wasn't really building to anything the final anakin obi-wan conflict just fell flat for me and it sort of broke something in me in terms of the rest of the show i feel like you haven't really 
justified making this here. You haven't pushed it forward enough. You haven't given me anything to latch on to here. And the suggestions of another season. I don't want to see another season. One thing we didn't reference is that Qui-Gon showed up for a scene, but it's a meaningless scene anyway, because it doesn't tell you anything. It's just, here's Qui-Gon. Actually, give me season two where it's Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon solving crimes as corporeal person and ghost. I'd watch that. That'd be an interesting second season. Mm, I'm going to leave that where it needs to be left in the dirt. (laughs) I'm not saying do that. I'm just saying that would be something. Because all Qui-Gon says is, there's work to be done, and then that's the end of the show. So building towards his appearance for six episodes because it was seeded early on, and then that's all you get. That's disappointing. But final thoughts are, I haven't latched onto any of the new Star Wars live-action content in terms of Disney Plus shows, and this didn't really change my mind. I'm worried about Ahsoka after this, because I feel like it's just going to be half-baked and underwhelming like this is, but we'll see. That was our discussion about Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Disney Plus show. Isaac, thank you for appearing. Yeah, lovely to be here. Chat to you again soon. Aaron, thank you for being here. Thanks to Ian Wright and 331Erock for the supplied music. If you enjoyed what you heard here, please do hit that subscribe button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. If you're on a platform that has a rating function built in, please do give us a rating. But Isaac, how many stars would you like? Five stars. More stars than there are in the galaxy. As many stars as you can count. If you want to talk to us about Obi-Wan, Star Wars or anything, really, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or you can leave a comment under neilbeforeblog.co.uk. And as always, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. May the Force be with you. <laughs> <laughs>